0: We want the cup. We want the cup. We want the cup. We want the cup.
1: To brotherly Mod, is Wednesday, February third, twenty twenty one. Here, and uh, we're gonna talk the Flyers in a little bit here. But
2: first, Anthony's back as always. Anthony, how are you doing? Not too bad, recovering from the snowstorm, but uh, not as bad as you guys got down there. <laughs>
1: yeah, worst snowstorm in the Lehigh Valley in fifty years, I believe they said. Got thirty inches up this way. Just uh, oof, brutal, but. uh. You know, we'll we'll live, I guess. But uh, we're going to talk about the best team in the NHL. And no, that's not the Flyers. Uh, We got John Luan from TSN to talk Montreal Canadiens with us. John, how are you doing?
0: Great, thanks, guys. And, uh, yeah, Dan, I hope that it doesn't take too long for you guys to extricate yourselves from that uh, snowmageddon, because that sounds horrible. (laughs) Living in Montreal, we get our share of it, but nothing like that. 30 inches is crazy.
1: I parked my... uh honda accord out back so the plows would come through the street it's gone it's buried i may not see it till july at this
0: point oh i thought you meant that i thought you meant maybe the snow plows moved it you took you know <laughs> swept it away
1: <laughs> and it hasn't happened yet they gave us an uh, emergency snow warning there to get everything off the streets so it's just parked out in my backyard right now <laughs> but uh yeah the canadians seven one and two start just a dominant opening here for the canadians
0: would you agree uh, yeah, yeah, it, it's been, um, well, anybody who paid close attention to the additions that Mark Bergevin made in the offseason knew that this team had the potential to do some pretty good things. Um, but the fact that they've been able to excel the way that they have in the early going so quickly with all of their new additions contributing the way that they are perhaps has exceeded people's expectations, and it certainly brought a lot of uh, a joy to the market here, especially since uh, Quebec is in uh, not just in a lockdown, but under curfew as well. So the Canadians have really done a lot to uh, improve people's moods around here as we slog through this COVID winter.
2: You know, like, given the economical climate of the NHL, Mark Bergevin did not really, like, stay accustomed to what the other GMs did. He was signing contracts left, right, and center. You know, Tyler Toffoli, Josh Anderson, Joel Edmondson, he extended Jeff Petrie, brought in an expensive backup, and Jake Allen. Did he need permission from the owner, Jeff Molson, like, to get the green light to sign those big deals, or did he just have free reign to improve this t- team at no cost?
0: Well, I mean, Jeff Molson's always going to be the last one to, you know, to put his seal of approval on it. And he, he definitely gave that to Mark Bergevin. But having said that, uh, the contracts that he did uh, issue were, uh, I would say, they were they were value contracts, especially Tyler Toffoli, when you, you see how uh, Toffoli being one of the most um, sought-after forwards on the free agent market, although it took a three days into the free agency period before he did find, uh, before the, he and the Canadians came to a, an agreement, uh, but that was a very good contract, I think, for a guy like Josh Anderson, for what he is capable of. Uh, and I've, a fan, re- replied on my, my Twitter feed by calling him, along with Tom Wilson, as a unicorn, which I think is just a great way to describe uh, Josh Anderson. is almost like a mythical beast. When you 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 put all the the the, the pieces of his toolbox together, there are so few players like josh anderson in the league and so for the canadians to get him uh under contract long term for a pretty reasonable cap hit compared to what he might have been able to get elsewhere on the free mar- open market had he gone to a free agency uh that's that that was a good deal as well and uh, joel edmondson i know there were some fans in, in in the market who thought they overpaid for joel edmondson but you know what for what the Canadians want to do, to get a guy like Edmondson who's partnered with Colton Pareko and Alex Petrangelo, uh, that is not an unreasonable tab. And then, yeah, I think that when you talk about goaltending, definitely they are the most expensive goaltending duo in the league, Carey Price and Jake Allen. But the fact is that you're not going to get full value out of Kerry Price by try- playing him 80% of the starts every single season, year after year. He's going to wear down. And we see what happens when he's overworked. So to get a guy like Jake Allen, who's a 1A, who proved to be a very good 1A with Jordan Binnington in his final season with St. Louis, that was a good signing as well. Yes, expensive, but you know what? This team is fundamentally built from the the net outward, and so to spend that much on goaltending with a more solid team all around them in every position, this is a team that certainly has the depth now to be able to go places.
1: Tyler Toffoli, early in his career, showed a whole bunch of potential with the Kings, and then as that team declined, he kind of meddled there. Found a fresh face in the end of the uh, last year in Vancouver, uh, ten points in ten games, just blowing out of the water. Nine goals, thirteen points in the first ten games. What kind of role is he playing for the Canadians right now?
0: Well, uh, to be honest with you guys, um, I really haven't seen Tyler Toffoli much of Tyler Toffoli's career except in the in in the Stanley Cup Finals, simply because I'm asleep. I've been asleep for most of his career, literally asleep most of his career, you know, playing in L.A. and and then Vancouver. So I really don't haven't seen much of him. But to see him night after night, well, in practice every day and night after night up close, really, really impressed with just how much Toffoli brings to the table, Uh, especially uh, and I think number one is just that he's just a very smart hockey player. Uh, He, you know, he's responsible at both ends of the ice, but. He just has really good instincts, high hockey IQ, knows how to be open in the offensive zone, gets back hard on the back check. And uh, as he showed last night, he's got some real sneaky good moves in his his bag of tricks, and that backhand on his second goal was something to behold. That was like Sidney Crosby in. Um, And, uh, yeah, so uh, the fact that he is essentially on Montreal's third line is also helping him. Uh, Because he and Jesper Kotkaniemi and at at the moment Corey Perry and before Perry, Yoel Armia, they're going to get better matchups going uh, against teams third lines and possibly third defensive pairings. And so they're taking advantage of that. But the fact is that from the very first game of the season, uh, Toffoli and Kotkaniemi have shown instant chemistry that they've been putting up very High metrics in terms of expected goals, four percentages, uh, their scoring chances for, high danger opportunities. Uh, the first three games of the season, they weren't really, they hadn't gotten offensive traction on the score sheets, but then the first game of the season against Vancouver, game four of the season, to fully get a hat-trick, and then the next game scored two against the Canucks, and now he has, a, if I'm not mistaken, eight goals and two assists against his old team in five Contests, so I mean, he's an absolute Canucks killer, and uh, yeah, finds himself high in the scoring race right now. And uh, really, uh, when you get production from a guy on your third line, again, that really helps the team. Um, it helps, it helps spread the offensive around, and uh, really gives Claude Julien a lot of options to be able to rely on any one of his four lines.
2: You know, it was clear that Mark Bergevin wanted to make this team. Physically tough to play against for the opponents. And a lot of his transactions were indicative of that. You know, Corey Perry, Josh Anderson, Joel Edmondson. Has that been on full display early in the season? Just how physical the Montreal Canadiens are, especially given the fact that they have had kind of a a stigma of being like a soft team in the past?
0: Uh, I, I wouldn't say that they've instantly transformed into a team that tries to put you through the boards every night. But certainly as a group. Uh, they've gotten tougher and bigger. Um, You know, mentioning Edmondson, like, he really rounds that out. Um, Sherratt and uh, Ben Sherratt and Shea Weber is their shutdown pairing, the top two uh, defensemen on the club. I mean, that's a very intimidating shutdown pairing. It's like they're not at all fun to play against. Jeff Petrie, he can be physical when he needs to, but he's really more of an all-purpose defenseman. Uh, And so to give... Joel Edmondson, or to give him Joel Edmondson as a partner, who and Edmondson is a very hard rock type of defenseman, uh, he, uh, he really adds to their profile, makes the defense bigger, and uh, adds to the physical uh, edge uh, on the club that might not have been as prominent and, and that was not as prominent in recent years. And then even rookie Alexander Romanov um, in the third pairing, he likes to hit people. Uh, he plays a pretty physical game as well. And so there are no soft touches in the Montreal defense. And when you talk about Josh Anderson on the second line, right wing position beside Nick Suzuki and Jonathan Drew he adds a dimension to that line that really helps them go because uh, he's incredibly fast for a guy that's six three two twenty, I believe. And uh, you know, tough along the boards, tough in the corners, very good in puck retrieval protects the puck. Well, and so, and he'll drop the gloves if he's if he has to if he's pushed into that uh, into that place. Uh, but um, but yeah, he adds a dimension to that second line that really makes that unit extremely effective. Um, and I believe in terms of uh, offensive metrics, they are the number one unit on the Canadians right now um, in most categories. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, that, that definitely they are uh, a team that, as Mark Bergevin said. It, Prior to training camp, they can play any way you want them to. So if you get into a physical game like against an opponent, say like the Calgary Flames, uh, the Canadians are able to, to answer that challenge now where they might not have been able to in the past as effectively.
1: I mentioned Shea Weber, just played his 1,000th NHL game, now 35 years old. Every once in a while, you know, he'll get an injury and you hear, oh, this is it, this is the one, you know, he's done, he's slowing down. But it sure doesn't seem like that. Is he still their top defenseman in Montreal?
0: Oh, absolutely, yeah. And and, and anybody that would think that Shea Weber is done because of an injury in his mid-30s um, really doesn't know Shea Weber very well uh, because his level of competit- uh, competitiveness... And his commitment to, phys, uh, to his, his physical health and training is really—it's it, at a—it's it, at a level comparable to Zdeno Chara, and Chara is in his forties, right? Yeah. So um, uh, Shea Weber, uh, even though he still has, I believe it's five years left on his contract, it'll push him to about age forty. I'm—I'm I'm convinced that he will fulfill that contract simply because he is so committed to keeping himself in good shape um, and. Uh, being able to play at a consistently high level, night after night, game after game, season after season. And, uh, and he takes great pride in the role that he plays for the Canadian, which I mean, captain to be named captain is one thing, but for what he does that really, uh, he's, he's the catalyst for the culture, for the current culture in the Montreal Canadiens locker room. And uh, so there's a whole lot of reasons why, um, you know, he is absolutely unimpeachable in terms of his importance to this club. And it goes both ways. Like, I think he really appreciates um, how, he's, um, how he's respected in, and viewed in this market. And it shows in his play uh, That's he's having another very solid year. And the fact that they've added depth to the blue line and offensively, he's having an, he, he, it helps Shea Weber as well because he doesn't have to play as minutes, as many minutes on a night-to-night basis, you see his average minutes are lower compared to what he has logged in the past, simply because there are three pairings that Claude Julian can rely upon to uh, take some of the load off of players that would uh, carry heavy uh, workloads like Shea Weber. And so, you know, it's uh, 1,000 1, games. I'm sure that uh, he'll probably push that up to about 1,300, 1,400 by the time uh, everything's said and done.
2: You know, for uh, years the Canadians were regarded as one of the weakest teams down the center of the ice, but now you can make the case that they're one of the best teams, but a report came out a couple of weeks ago that felt that no reportedly turned down a six year contract offer from the Montreal Canadians. Is there anything you could add to that report?
0: Well, no, just that, um, you know, Dano has been very tight lipped about whether or not uh, negotiations are ongoing. Um, and, it does create a little bit of an elephant in the room uh, because he is a UFA at the end of this season, and offensively he isn't putting up the numbers that he has put it, that he has logged in recent years when uh, he, Thomas Tatar and Brendan Gallagher have been the undisputable the indisputable number one line on that club. But we're seeing a situation now where Nick Suzuki, as a sophomore, has is stepping up his game pretty much on a nightly basis to the point where he is the most used forward. In all situations for the Canadians, and so all of a sudden the pecking order on this club has has shifted somewhat. I mean, Claude Julien will still start the Dan O line uh, as his number one line in terms of matchups. They will get the toughest assignments. They will always be the line that Claude Julien, given the choice, whether it's home ice or on the fly in a in a visitor's build an opposing team's building, uh, will default by putting the Dan O line up against them simply because they're so good at five-on-five. Five. But the fact of the matter is that there is a sea change afoot where uh, all of a sudden, Julian does have uh, another option. Uh, maybe not so much in defensive zone starts, but he trusts the Nick Suzuki line enough that he can play them all in all situations. And Jesper Cotiniemi, uh with the aforementioned Tyler Toffoli, they're proving to be a very effective line as well, and uh, so uh, yeah, all of a sudden uh, the 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 growth and the progression of the young centers on this club, and you have to include Jake Jake Evans on the fourth line too. Um, since the Toronto bubble, they've really changed the landscape on this club, and all of a sudden you really have to wonder, you know, is Philip Danos' future with the Canadians carved in stone because? All of a sudden, it's uh, it's not looking like you know he doesn't. It, it seems like his position with the club isn't as uh, as prominent as it has been in the last two three seasons. And so it'll be very interesting to see just how this season plays itself out um, and whether Dano changes his tune because last off season he uh, he when when faced with questions regarding his upcoming contract uh, uh, expiration. You know he wasn't ready to concede that position as the number one center. You know he said that he wasn't, uh, he didn't see himself as as a third line defensive centerman. He still felt that he has uh, plenty to offer on the offensive side and room to grow in that area as well. But circumstances are starting to change that perception at this moment, and so the rest of the season will be fascinating uh, to watch uh, because the dynamics within the club's pecking order at the center position are changing.
1: You mentioned Nick Suzuki. He was a guy that us Flyers fans got a front row seat to during the playoffs last year. You know, it seems like a kid that can do pretty much anything. I mean, how high is his ceiling right now?
0: Oh, we haven't even seen his ceiling yet. Um, and the thing is that he's what makes you sit Nick Suzuki special is his, his 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 hockey mind. Like his IQ is like PhD level. Um, he is incredibly smart really instinctive and he has the skills and the he has the puck skills and the, uh, uh, and the shot. although he doesn't use his shot that much, but he has a sneaky good shot. He has that to match, um, his, his hockey mind. Uh, he worked on his skating as well. So he's faster, uh, and he just gets better seemingly every game, uh, commits very few errors as well. Like just, you don't see a lot of the rookie and sophomore mistakes out of Nick Suzuki. And so, um, ever since last season, because Nick Suzuki has said that he patterns his game after Patrice Bergeron. Well, the natural inclination is to try to draw those comparisons. But anytime we've asked Claude Julien over the last 14 months about those comparisons, he he steers away from that. And I think partially because Julien was with Patrice Bergeron through the growth and most productive part of Bergeron's career. And so, his respect for number 37 in Boston is about as high as you can get, right? So he doesn't want to put that comparison on Nick Suzuki, but Julian certainly is not uh, shy from comparing Suzuki to David Krejci, you know, Um, another very smart, capable two way centerman uh, playing the second line role for really his entire career with the Bruins. Um, But I really think that Nick Suzuki is going to surpass David Krejci in terms of his abilities and, you know, when all is said and done, what is his career going to look like? And uh, and like you said, you know, what he showed in the bubble against Philadelphia, uh, that was just progression from a very good regular season where he didn't play like a rookie. He started the season on fourth line wing and very quickly moved up to third line center and then second line center. And uh, that's the place that he's occupying right now until he starts Gaining even more trust from Claude Julien to the point where maybe that that Ju- that Drew and Suzuki Anderson trio becomes the top line, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to make that prediction just yet. Simply because again, the Philip Dano line is so good in all situations, especially five on five. That's um, yeah, it remains to be seen where, how things play themselves out by the end of the season.
2: You just brought him up, but I wanted to talk a bit about Jonathan drew One of the more polarizing players on the Canadians over the last number of years, you know, brought in, you know, the big homecoming of the, of you know, the local kid traded for a big name in Mikhail Sergachev. Kind of took a while to find his niche, but it seems like now he's finally found the right spot beside Nick Suzuki and Josh Anderson. They tried him at center in his first year, and now he's having a very good start to the season. Nine points through the first 10 games. Was it all about just finding the right place for Jonathan Drouin, for him to fully hit his stride?
0: I believe it is. Um, I think that uh, Jonathan Drouin is a very good complementary piece on a competitive club. Uh, he's not going to be the type of player who will take over a game, uh, although he has the talent to do it. You know, his teammates will consistently say that he is the most skilled player on the team, and I believe that to be true, even with the uh, players that they've added. But I think with Jonathan Drouin, um He, um, because offensively he is capable of creating in such a way that if he doesn't have the right mix of line mates with him, he isn't able to produce the results that he could. But in Nick Suzuki has somebody that is so smart and skilled at the same time that they make the perfect combination in that regard. And having Anderson is a, as a, as an exceptional complementary piece to that line that basically completes that line. Uh, it makes Jonathan Drouin that much better, that much more effective. Um, and you know, Anderson creates space for a player like Drouin, who is not a physical player. But if you take a look at the metrics, he's ranking very high in terms of uh, the underlying offensive numbers along with Suzuki and Anderson. But having said that, the eye test is always going to be probably people's most lasting uh, impression. And, and Drouin does still have a tendency to take the odd penalty in the offensive zone, Um, or make some of those uh, ill-advised, risky cross-ice passes that get picked off. Um, And so there there are still elements to his game that he needs to round out um, in order to become a complete two-way player. But certainly what he showed at the start of last season before he got injured and then what he showed in the bubble, uh, especially in the Philadelphia series with Nick Suzuki, they were making... Beautiful music together, certainly uh, some of the creative plays that were turning into goals. Uh, it's carried over into this season as well. So I think that Jonathan Drouin has finally found uh, his comfort zone with the Montreal Canadiens.
1: How important has Jake Allen been to the team this year? 202 goals against, 930 save percentage. This feels like the first time in a real long time that the Canadians had a legitimate backup goalie.
0: Oh, absolutely, yeah. Well, and again, going back to what we said about how much it cost to... Uh, get Jake Allen in to, 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 to compliment Carey Price. Well, the fact of the matter is, the Canadians are getting what they're paying for because in years past, they weren't spending a lot of money in the goaltending, uh, backup goaltender position. But, you know, with Jake Allen, um, again, he had his best statistical season in his final year in St. Louis as the 1A to Jordan Bennington. And he's been a starter before. And so um, you could say that he's arguably been the most important pickup whether through trade or free agency, uh, simply because you would not have seen Claude Julien giving a backup in recent years four out of the first 10 starts in a Montreal-Canadian season, you know, that, that that there just wouldn't have been the trust level uh, from Jul- on Julien's part in his backup goaltender until Jake Allen came into the fold, And he's delivered them quality starts. I mean, his only loss, the Canadians didn't score. So a goal he can't, win without that kind of support and uh still he was very good against the the, the calgary flames last saturday uh in the canadians only regulation loss this season and uh so yeah Allen has come again exactly as advertised and uh uh he um he see he seems like the type of guy that is a very uh easy to like teammate that's uh, he fits in very well in that locker room uh uh, at his introductory press conference with the Montreal media, he disclosed that he's uh, he loves hunting and fishing and country music. And I thought, oh, that sounds exactly like the Canadiens' number one goalie. And I thought, oh, these guys are going to be a very good tandem together. And so far, they so far they have been. Again, you know, Allen starting forty percent of the Canadiens' game so far. If that's continues through the remainder of the season, barring uh, injuries to one or the other goalie uh, or dips in performance, then this will be. Uh, proportionately the least busy season for Kerry Price since his sophomore season. And that can only lead to good things for the Canadians towards the end of the season and heading into the playoffs should they make it, because we saw in the bubble last year just how dominant Kerry Price can be when he's rested.
2: A few weeks back, Pierre-Luc Dubois gets traded for Patrick Laine in a blockbuster, one of the biggest in recent memory. But it seemed like the Montreal Canadiens were in on Dubois right until the 11th hour. What was the rumored ask on the part of the Columbus Blue Jackets in return for Dubois? And what do you think ultimately had Marc Bergemet fall out of the race?
0: Well, um, the, 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 the popular theory is that the ask the main component in the ask coming from the Canadians would have been Nick Suzuki or Yespri Kotkaniemi, plus extra pieces. And there's just no way uh, Mark Bergevin would have traded Nick Suzuki at this point in time. And I think he was balking at moving Yespri Kotkaniemi as well because they see so much potential and rapid growth in Kotkaniemi if you sort of erase his sophomore season, which was an in- injury-plagued disaster. And uh, so, in addition to Kotkaniemi, if they had swung the deal, he probably would have been looking at um, a high-caliber prospect um, and a draft pick. Now, Pierre-Luc Dubois would have been perfect for this market. He is from, he, he hails from north of Montreal. He would have loved to come here. Uh, he would have given this market uh, a, a, a real high-profile uh, French star, potential superstar. Um, but having said that, I'm not convinced that if the Canadians had traded either, uh, Nick Suzuki or Jesper Kotjiemi, um, that they would have been that much farther ahead at this point in time, considering the direction where they're tracking with their young centers, because let's face it, Pierre-Luc Dubois is still a young center as well. And, uh, there's still plenty of room for growth in his game. So, um, I think a lot of fans were disappointed that, uh, you know that they that they couldn't have gotten somebody of that caliber like PLD in Montreal, but at the same time, knowing what the potential uh, asks and, and sacrifice would have been going the other way, I believe that most people in this market are quite content that Mark Bergevin didn't pull the trigger on that deal.
1: And uh, one more for you here, and it's something we've been asking
0: all of our guests lately:
1: What do you think of the Canadians' reverse retro jerseys?
0: It did grown on me, and. Tomorrow night we will get our first look at them as well. So um, the first time I saw it, I thought, oh, there's so much blue, you know, like that's (laughs) like too much like their their arch rivals down the 401. And uh, but then over time, you know, as I've seen it more and more and more and also seen some of the really ugly reverse retro jerseys around the league, um, I think, yeah, you know what, this actually is a pretty attractive jersey, still not as nice as the classic uh, either home or road but uh, having said that it's uh, it's a good looking jersey although I think I, I think my favorite still is the uh, I was gonna say Minnesota North Stars Minnesota Wild yeah. because it looks so much like the North Stars and that's just kind of like from nostalgia's sake harking back to my 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 childhood I'm aging myself here but my childhood and so uh, yeah but the Canadians uh, I'd say that it ranks right up there because they've maintained so much of the traditional elements of the jersey but uh, the colors now that's we've had time to absorb and become uh, accustomed to them, I think it's a good jersey. Looking forward to seeing it on the players tomorrow night.
2: Well, John, thanks a ton for taking the time to come talk to us today. And I just want to say a quick thank you to you. I speak on behalf of a lot of my friends growing up. We grew up watching you on TSN, on SportsCenter, before we went to high school every day. You're a big part of the sports community in Montreal, and we just love what you do, and uh, just keep it up. And I really appreciate you taking the time to come and talk to us today.
0: Oh, it's my pleasure, guys. Anytime, and, and thanks for having me on, and thanks for watching uh, all these years. It's uh, I wouldn't have a job if it wasn't for uh, for dedicated and uh, very uh, um, uh, very appreciative fans. All right, John. All stay right. safe out there. Thank you. You too. You guys too. Take it easy, John okay take care and uh yeah whenever you uh, whenever you want uh, another check-in just uh, just get in touch and we'll uh, we'll do this again
2: well, thank you sounds good we'll tag okay. you uh when the podcast is up on twitter okay Hey, you john.
0: Good. thank you all right you too bye
2: goodbye well that
1: was john Liu. uh great guest sounds like you uh <laughs> had a bit of a fangirl moment there at the end so that's a uh, yeah that's pretty cool <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, it was uh yeah, I kind of fanboyed there, but I mean when you grow up watching someone report on and I wasn't a Canadians fan, but when you grow up watching a guy report on the team in the local market and the Canadians are basically like the like uh the Vatican out here, right? Like yeah. people just worship them. And he's just been around for like so many years that even though I was never a fan of the Habs, it was just he just has become synonymous with the team, and you know we had a joke at in high school. Like I kind of brought up, I didn't kind of want to bring it up with him because it may have been a bit awkward. But like he always has this thing where he'll be like John Lou TSN Montreal, and like every reporter does it, but it's like the way he would do it. It just became so iconic in the city, and especially more so that you know it's a primarily French city and a primarily French market. And he's become like the main Anglophone who covers the team. And yeah, it took me uh, a a lot to bottle up all the the fanboying I had to do. (laughs) I got a bit of it out at the end, but he's he's just awesome. And a great interview, knows his stuff. And uh, I'm really excited to have him back on whenever that may be down the road.
1: Well, from one 7-1-2 one, team to a 7-2-1 and one team, though they feel very different. The Canadians feel like they earned their seven wins, where the Flyers just kind of lucked into them. But uh, Fletcher came out yesterday, had a bit of a presser, basically just uh, an injury wrap-up. Couturier is still about a week to 10 days away from returning, though that is fluid. Uh, Ratcliffe... Had a rib injury and a collapsed lung. He's on the men's, still four weeks till he can practice. I believe he has been skating uh, occasionally with the team, though. Um, and quite a bit after that until he can play. Uh, Wade Allison underwent an ankle surgery. He's out for, you know, a month to a month and a half. Uh, so his Phantom's debut is going to wait. We'll talk about the Phantom's in a minute. And Morgan Frost needs shoulder surgery to repair the dislocation. He'll be out months, possibly missing the rest of the season. Yeah, so that dashes Morgan Frost's dreams for another year. Ratcliffe and Allison are going to have to wait for the Phantoms to start, even though the Phantoms themselves are having every single preseason game postponed due to COVID-related nonsense uh, with, I believe it's a Pittsburgh team. I don't think it's the Phantoms that are actually having issues. Um, but, yeah, it's been a been a rough go here for the injury bug uh, for the Flyers. They did get Phil Myers back earlier in the week and looked great, by the way. Um But yeah, and the other important thing to take away from this presser was Fletcher basically said that he's not happy with them. They need to be a better team. Um, Happy with the record, but not fooled by it. The process needs to improve, uh, but the will to win is high. And I think that's a pretty good way to summarize it. Both Fletcher and AV have come out over the last a few days or so, and said, yeah, it's great they're winning and all, but we gotta see more. And as a fan, that's how I feel as well. I'm watching these games, and it's like, by hook or crook, they're pulling out wins. Right? The last four games they played, they're 4-0. They've blown three two-goal leads. Uh, they've been outshot three out of the four games. Their season shot differential is at minus 100 right now. Like, there's no reason why they're winning these games other than just sheer luck. And for the short time it's working this is great but if that luck runs out this could easily turn upside down quick if things don't actually improve
2: yeah like i put out a tweet following the second win on the islanders where it's just like you know they look like shit a lot of the time although the sunday game was a lot better by all accounts and the underlying metrics and to be quite honest like i've had more time for analytics this year than i ever have just because of how well they've matched the eye test so I've been looking a lot at them because it seems like they're in lockstep with what I'm seeing. So you have the 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 analytics that say that they're a bottom five team in the NHL. They have a what negative one hundred shot differential. One hundred and one right now, I think they're at technically. Yeah. So th- there's no doubt that their play needs to improve. But all that being said, and like I alluded to on the on the um in my tweet on Monday, at a certain point results kind of have to outweigh the rest and I'm not saying that 10 games I'm ready to you know like plan the parade down Broad Street or anything but I think what this team has proven to me is that they're a lot more skilled than I gave them credit for in the offseason I never expected this offense to score this much to, to be frank I thought it was going to be a challenge all season long much more so without Sean Couturier. Now, obviously, the power plays clicking at a very high uh, percentage. They have an extremely high shooting percentage, and I believe Chuck Fletcher alluded to that in his press conference last night. So, I mean, it's going to even out down the road here. Like, they're not going to be scoring. What are they averaging? Like, four-plus goals per game at Something the moment? Something like that, Yeah. You know. So, like, eventually it's going to even out. I'm not—I don't expect it, and it's just—it's not—it's not not feasible for them to keep scoring at this high level. But, I mean, at the bare minimum, I think we have to—or at least I can only speak for myself—we have to give them credit where credit is due. And they are a much more high-end offensive team than I gave them credit for. And, you know, I think that's in large part to James Van Riemsday completely flipping the switch from where he was last season— uh, Jake Voracek and Claude Giroux, aside from that awful uh, tying goal by Matt Barzell, have played really well this season. Um, I mean, I'm still kind of expecting more from guys like Lindblom and um, Travis Konechny. But uh, I mean, look, it's uh, it, they're a very skilled team and they're finding ways to win. And as the saying goes, good teams find ways to win. But I mean, you can't keep winning playing like this. Uh, Especially in the long term, and and I believe I uh,
1: quoted your tweet, pretty much essentially saying the same thing. You know, it's great that they're doing it, but it's just not feasible to do this long term. You know, getting out shot every single night and blowing leads left and right and the shot differential overall like it's borderline miraculous that they're winning games right now. And uh, you know, I'm not overly really surprised that the offense is producing. I'm surprised at who's producing uh doing the producing. JVR 5 goals and 13 points in 10 games. Jake Voracek uh 10 points in 10 games. Uh, Kevin Hayes 10 points 10 games. Giroux really stepped up this year, ten points in ten games. You know, you're really getting a lot of scoring from everybody else. Everybody else has been rather inconsistent uh, outside of those four guys. You know, Farabee had the hat trick, connecting at a hat trick, which really pads their numbers compared to what they're actually doing. And you know, a lot of the other guys just aren't uh, chipping in a whole lot. So, it, you know, it, it's been. Difficult, you know. They're ten games in. <laughs> they look kind of decent. The one thing Fletcher did mention was the defense. He was asked to evaluate the D corps. Said time will tell. Forwards have made life hard on the D and goalies. And here's the thing: I don't disagree with that because the team defense has been atrocious, especially in the absence of Sean Couturier. But come on, this D de- uh, this defense is real sketchy right now. You know, Provorov is great. Phil Myers is great. And outside that, it's been a mixed bag of, of of not a whole lot of good things happening back there. Eric Gustafson has been a goddamn disaster more often than not. Sanheim, I don't care what anybody says about him. He's not very good. Uh, you know, Gossesbear has looked good in his return. He, he looks like he's playing some competent defense, which is unusual uh, uh, for Shane Gossesbear. And, you know, Haig, Friedman have been essentially non-factors as always. And Justin Braun looks a million years old this season. So there's just been a back-and-forth role play. I believe Haig is out and and is in the night, you know, which they've been going back and forth for the past few games. And it's just not a whole lot of uh, depth there. There's a lot of players,
2: but not a lot of depth. Well, it's funny. I think you put a a tweet on it just before I just did, but I never thought we'd come back to a day where I'm hoping they put in a claim for Braden Coburn. Yes, (laughs) Braden Coburn is on uh, waivers right now. And I mean, at this point, I think that anything would help. I mean, I've always been a Robert Hag defender, but I really not like the way he's played. Yeah, Um, Justin Braun. Like, okay, like I've been his absolute biggest defender since he got here but i mean i think he's quickly becoming a number six i thought that last year he was a solid four slash five and now this year it's i don't think he could do more than be a number six and we're seeing that that he can't really carry Hag and or gustafson so i mean i think adding in a braden coburn who i think is still a a, a decent third pairing guy to kind of solidify that bottom pair with Justin Braun, allow them to lean on one another, add some size back there, some physicality would go a long way. But I mean, either way you shake it right now, I don't see how you plan to realistically contend for a Stanley Cup without adding a top pairing defenseman or a top four at bare minimum. Because I mean, I think the way that Phil Myers has played and, Ivan Proval is great again. And to, to his credit, Shane Gossespierre. Like, I mean, do I think he's a top pairing guy? No, but I mean, he's done as just about as good as you could have reasonably and realistically expected of him. So to be quite honest, if you were to add a guy like, and this is just spitballing here, but Nicholas Jalmerson, let's say, I think that would go a long way in at least giving this team a realistic chance to go deep with a defensive core. But I mean, I don't like I know that Chuck Fletcher kind of beat around the bush, maybe didn't want to completely take the bullet for not addressing Matt Niskin retiring and, you know, that the forwards have to be better. And he's not entirely wrong, but I don't know how he could actually think in his mind that this defense could win a Stanley Cup.
1: Yeah, talked about that on Twitter as well. <laughs> you know, he's not gonna come out be like, "Sorry guys, fucked up. I didn't add anybody that I should have." But uh, yeah, and uh, it does sound like he's been keeping tabs on Matt Niskanen. Uh, Fletcher has asked if the door was open for Matt Niskanen to return. It said they stay in touch, and the Flyers haven't terminated his contract. But Niskanen is content with his retirement decision. So maybe come playoff time, if he you know wants to give it one more kick at the can and, and try and pull you know Mike Fisher on everybody and come back for a playoff run. Maybe, um, but you know, going back to both uh, Fletcher and Av saying they're unhappy with the start of the team. Av has been doing everything in his power uh, essentially to try and jumpstart people. You know, he's sat TK, he's been mixing the lines, he's trying everything in his power. You know, Chuck Fletcher's unhappy now; it's his turn. You know, and obviously we're in a weird kind of period here where you can't make a whole lot of big trades. Um, you know, they don't come up very often. But you know, come the trade deadline, you know, is he going to? have the the balls more or less to go out and and add the missing pieces on defense find somebody worth a shit you know not pick up Braden coburn on waivers or find another eric gosses you know they're gonna need some legitimate help back there and if it's not at the trade deadline and it's over the summer you know the ball's kind of in his court now to address the needs of the team because av is doing his best with what he's given
2: yeah and as for the forward group like i said earlier i've been thoroughly impressed with the amount of offense they've been able to generate all this without Sean Couturier, but I've said it in the past, but I I feel like that third line in particular, and it's not even that they've played bad, but guys like Scott Lawton to a lesser extent, Oscar Lindblom, I feel like they've kind of just been adding to the redundancy of this lineup. Yes, very much. And, and like, I see that third line come out and I believe they're with Ferriby right now, or I think JVR was with them with Ferriby, and Limblom went up. But it's just like, I need, they need something different. And John Luke touched on it about the Habs and Mark Bergervain when he said, this team can play anyway. And the Habs added a lot of different elements to their game. You know, they brought in guys like Josh Anderson and Corey Perry and Joel Edmondson. And I think the Flyers lack that up front especially and I know Chuck Fletcher kind of brushed it off yesterday which I didn't like but at the same time what's he supposed to say the Fords are a bunch of soft guys like (laughs) I don't expect him to Mm. throw them under the bus but I do still think that they really need a physical presence or two up front because don't get me wrong it's great that you have guys who can drive play and be responsible at, at all ends of the ice and you know the typical cliches and Limblom and Lawton—they're very solid players all around game-wise, but I really do think that you need a player or two that could bring a physical element and bring a different variable, I guess, to the game or a different—I'm—I'm um, I'm losing the—I can't find the word in my head, but you know what I mean—just a different style of play to that forward group. They need to change. You know, their entire bottom six, Abe Kubel, Lindblom,
1: Lawton, Faraby, uh, more often than not. Like, these are just, they're all the same player. You know, and, and they're all very good in their own right, but when you have five or six of them out there, they all just kind of blend in. And nobody's better than anybody else. And, you know, like I said in uh, one of the anger-negative post games, you know, when JVR and Jake Voracek are your leading Players like that's probably not great. You know, (laughs) you should be having a whole roster here of people that are outperforming these two, and they don't. And uh, it's it's redundant, you know. uh, He used the term complimentary players when he was talking about Jonathan Druin, and I feel like it's what the Flyers have. They have a whole bunch of complimentary players that if they had some legitimate star power on the team, they could all make use of them well. Um, but you know, they really don't have any legitimate stars, and it's something that. You, know, you talked about quite a bit in the offseason, as, uh, as did Jim, um, you know, the lack of star power. And this is kind of where it shines through. you know, you got a bunch of dudes, and they're all good, but you don't have anybody that can le- truly, legitimately stand above the crowd and put the team on their back and carry them. And Giroux has looked a lot younger this year than he did last year, which is great to see. But at this point in his career, you know, he's just not that guy anymore. you know, you, you got to find the next guy real quick. And, uh, you know, otherwise, you're just going to have a bunch of complimentary players and nobody to really, uh, truly take the lead here.
2: And I mean, that's kind of a good segue into the Morgan Frost situation. And look, I'm not going to come on here and dance on his grave. It's through no fault of his own. It's a freak accident. But by all accounts, his season is done. Yes. And let's just say he comes back healthy next year and he will have played a Four periods of hockey in an 18-month span. And you would have to think he's going to need at least at least half a season in the AHL, if not longer. I think that next year he's going to be in the AHL for the entire year. Probably. At which point, I mean, I'm not even saying that he's never going to get to the NHL because he's still, what, 22, 23? 21 for another couple months, I believe. May 14th so, is his birthday. May 14th, so 22. I think that the 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 next time that you can realistically expect Morgan Frost to have an impact at the NHL level is for the 22-23 season. I thoroughly believe that because of his injury and the time of development that he's lost and the time he's going to need to recoup that upon his return. At which point, you know, I, I still think that the Flyers, I mean, like I said, I, I think that they've done enough for me to this point, offensive-wise, to say that I could theoretically see them competing for a cup now more so than I did just because of how well their forwards have played, their big-name forwards. And I said that in the loss to Boston, um, the shootout loss, that it was one of the most encouraging games I saw because you saw Jake Vorchek dominate. You saw JVRB a presence. And for the most part, those two guys have been. To your point, Claude Giroux has looked good. And that was one of my biggest concerns entering into the season is could those guys carry the team? And to this point they have offensively, but if your cup window is in the next two years, because I don't think you can expect that from these types of guys beyond 2022, does Morgan Frost really have a place with this franchise?
1: I'm going to speak on Morgan Frost here as a Samuel Moran fan. Um, You know, these when you don't play for a long period of time, come back and get hurt for a calendar year, you know, more or less. You know, that sucks. And you're so far behind the eight ball already. And this kid did not have the skill to make the roster flat out to begin with. You know, that's not great. He's gonna need you know more or less done for the year if he's fine, you know he may come back and, and catch the very tail end of the phantom season, but it doesn't mean much in this short amount of time. He's going to have to come back next year and essentially build from the ground up again and hope that nothing else happens. and at that point you know you're looking at at least halfway next season. Um, you know, depending on how that ends up shaking out, if it starts in October or or December, who knows, you know, but it's just, it's not great for his career that he's so far behind the eight ball in, had so much of his game left to go you know it's not like you could just throw this guy in and be fine he had a lot of growing left to do um and he's not going to get that opportunity right now you know he really is starting to fall down the, the Sam Moran rabbit hole and it may not be the exact same cause you know he may not have torn his ACL twice but you know we're seeing it with Moran where he's just kind of in this perpetual loop of of stuck between the Flyers and Phantoms because he can't get the playing time he needs to get better, you know, and I don't know what to do with Frost at this point, you know, I they probably should have pulled the trigger in the offseason and uh, try and found a legit defenseman because now they have some injured dude that they are gonna have to try to convince people he's still, you know, gonna be a quality NHLer in the very near future, so... I don't know. I don't know what to do with the poor kid. But uh, it does suck from a a, a personal perspective. You know, I'm not rooting for this injury at all. It it does suck to see, you know, somebody that could have had a,
2: a really good career kind of be put in the back burner yet again. And this is not to say that he won't get there down the line. And maybe he does become a staple with this Flyers team in two years from now. But it's, I think that the entire focus for this club should be winning a Stanley Cup right now either this year or next year, because once that Sean Couturier contract comes up, I think you're really going to be on borrowed time in terms of a cup window. And I know everyone points to, you know, Pro-Rob and Hart and Hart and <laughs> Myers, but, like, you're going to be paying, if you push forward with Sean Couturier, which by all accounts they are, you're going to be paying at least $15 million between Sean Couturier and Kevin Hayes for four years as they enter their 30s. And you're still probably going to have JVR at that time. You're still going to have Jake Voracek at that time. So, I mean, I don't think that there's going to be a lot of disposable income to add players around them. So I think it really is between now and the end of next season that the Flyers can realistically contend for Stanley Cup within the next five years. And I don't think the Flyers can afford to wait for Morgan Frost anymore anymore. That's not even to say that they didn't in the past that they were waiting for him. But I mean, I think that this year he became the 13th forward just on merit almost. Yeah. Because they wanted him to get in the lineup. Because, look, by all accounts, like, Even if he did come back healthy, he's not leapfrogging Connor Bunneman. I would argue that Connor Bunneman should stick in the lineup even when Sean Couture comes back. I love what he brought. And on a side note, I believe you brought up last year, but he's one of those prospects that came up, but he's not the right prospect, so we can't get excited about him. Mm -hmm. But but I I just... I think that especially this summer, you're going to see, or I would at least expect that chuck fletcher will try and add around this group of players for next year especially if they don't win a cup this year which at this point that doesn't look all that likely and i don't know if he's going if maurin frost is ever going to have an opportunity even from a numbers perspective as we saw this year to get into this lineup on a consistent basis and i it's a tough situation i was rooting for the kid like Many people think I have it out for him, but they completely ignore the fact that I expect him to be the 3C this year. But if Nolan Patrick sticks long-term with this team, and so far so good with him, and they're going to lock in Sean Katorian, and they already have Hayes locked in, and then you have guys like Limblom and Farabee and Konechny long-term, and Vorchek and JVR are still under contract until, what, 2024, whatever it is. I, I just, I don't see a way... For him to get in here and to be honest I think what we've seen play out with Morgan Frost is kind of indicative of how we've seen a lot of these high quote-unquote high-end prospects prospects rather uh, play out you know people have been touting about Wade Allison for how many years to a much lesser extent about Isaac Ratcliffe and all these guys back on the injury shelf so it's not their fault but I think At least I've seen a real turn of the tide quite rapidly over the last month or so where a lot of fans don't want to hear about prospects anymore, and they're kind of starting to wake up to the fact that we were sold a bill of goods that was completely far off. Yeah, he fits in with everybody else. You know, the, hey, they're going to be
1: superstars, and they come up and they're just kind of dudes. And, you know, especially after that Buffalo series and, and again, uh, the last Bruins series. Um, a lot of fans, you know, as you mentioned, they do seem to be coming around and realizing that, hey, we just wasted seven years of our lives for absolutely no reason. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of how I'm starting to feel as well. I've always been very vocal about this for quite some time, but, you know, looking around here, you have a bunch of dudes and, you know, you could have found all these guys in the free agent market or trade or, you know, there are none of these homegrown talents outside of Provov and Harder are world beaters. You know, and, and I put out a tweet uh, over the weekend about Travis Sanheim. Why do people like Travis Sanheim? And I had about three dozen people in some former fashion say, well, he's got potential. You know, <laughs> you know? and no. and I'm just I'm so tired of that word potential. The guys, two hundred and fifteen games into his career. It's time to stop talking about potential. This is what he is now. You know, Um you know, and Frost is just another one of those guys, you know, two, it uh, was a two point per game player during his last season in junior, you know, a 19 year old dunking on 16 year olds doesn't impress me. And, you know, the Dan Silver highlight reels and all this shit that we're led to believe here. You know, he's just a dude at the NHL. He's just a guy that is not physically ready. You know, he, he's not big enough. He's not strong enough. He, he I was talking about this all the time with the Phantoms last year, you know, he was getting bullied down there, you know, like, not surprised that he, you know, didn't have that same potential in the nhl either so i don't know he's just he's just another face in the crowd and hey it gives people another year and a half to hype him out uh hype him up without actually having to admit he's bad so there you go that'll keep a dan silver
2: asleep at night i guess well a bit i want to touch a bit on travis sanheim because Mostly. i think <laughs> i think travis sanheim is the perfect example of you can't how could i put this don't count we're your chickens not, before they hatch. Yeah, like we're not even saying he's bad because I still think he's I a, am. <laughs> I think that on most teams, he's an adequate top four defenseman, second pair defenseman. But what aggravates me about Travis Sanheim is that they constantly lump him in with Provorov and Myers. Travis Sanheim is not the type of player that you want to halt yourself of making other acquisitions for. Like, we heard, though, they couldn't sign TJ Brody to the no-movement clause because we might lose Sanheim. We Mm -hmm. couldn't sign Chris Tanev because we wouldn't have money to extend Travis Sanheim. Fuck Travis Sanheim. (laughs) And when I say fuck Travis Sanheim, that's not me saying he's a bad hockey player. No, I think that on most NHL teams, he's a more-than-adequate second-pair defenseman. But... Adequate second pair defensemen are not the types of players that you block yourself from making acquisitions for. You know, I don't think that replacing Travis Sanheim is all that hard to do. I think that you could go out and get a a defenseman to do what Travis Sanheim does, not easily, but it wouldn't be an astronomical task at the same time. And if you had to add let's say if you added a Chris Tanniff or TJ Brody, because I really do think those two were the two guys Chuck Fletcher had to go after one of the two, if that meant losing Travis Sanheim in the summer, either via expansion or you traded him at the draft before the expansion draft or no, you traded him right before the expansion draft. So you didn't lose him for nothing. Then so be it. You know, you have Cam York, you have Igor Zamula, Anthony Sanfilippo touched on it when we had him on back in November the way you've drafted on defense, because I do feel as opposed to what they've done up front, they've drafted exceptionally well on the back end. He is he is expendable and he's not this defenseman that everyone wants him to be. Like, I still see people like, oh, can we try him on the top power? play?" <laughs> like, come on. Like, yes, he was good in the in with the Calgary hitmen in the WHL. Eight years ago. Fantastic. He's not that. And look, he's been coached, what, by three different head coaches? It's not he's not a power play defenseman or at least a top pairing defenseman on the power play or regular on five on five either. He's not this this guy, this incredible like star in the making. And again, it's not me saying he's bad. But there's a difference from guys who are untouchables like Ivan Provorov and Phil Myers, who I think is quickly becoming an untouchable and Travis Sanheim, who's just an interchangeable piece.
1: Yeah, I, I just I don't care for his game. The guy is so weak back there in the blue line. He just drives me absolutely nuts all the time. He needs to be a power play guy. Uh, No, he doesn't. If you're going to give that spot to anybody, give it to Myers because you know, that's what he yep. was doing down with the Phantoms. But he just doesn't have a, a spot. And quite frankly, it's the contract that, that scares me more than anything. He's already making 3.2. He's 24. The guy's going to go 5 by 5 is my guess. Do you really want to sign this guy 5 by 5 I sure as hell don't. Not only do you hamstring yourself literally everywhere else, but, like, you, he's, he has some decent trade value. Partner uh, package Sanheim with JVR to Seattle. And killed two birds with one stone. You don't have to resign him, in you year to JVR's contract. Like, that would be the smart move here. Resigning him just for the sake of resigning him, so you don't have to bring in anybody else in free agency like Chuck Fletcher loves to do. Like, that's a problem. You know, and, and this fan base, for some reason, really likes this guy. And I've never been able to wrap my mind around it. And, and you know, you have Cam York in the system, who will hopefully be on the main roster next season sometime. And Zamula, I, I, in very limited exposure to him thus far, His hockey IQ seems great. Um, His physically, he's not right. He's built like Travis Sanheim. He's tall and lanky, um, which is not great. uh, You know, especially if you add him and Sanheim on the same roster at the same time. But his hockey IQ seems to be a whole lot better than Sanheim. And for what it's worth, he does have flashes of brilliance. I was his biggest fan during the round robin last year in those four games. I thought he looked phenomenal with Myers. But you know, when the pressure came in during the playoffs, and he's falling down and turning the puck over, and just he's so scared to be out there it seems more often than not you know somebody rushes his way, and all of a sudden he's off the puck and it's going the other way you know you just can't have this kind of guy in your team and trade him now while he's still got some value whether it be the expansion draft to uh, move a big contract or before the expansion draft so you don't lose nothing I just I don't see a reason to resign this guy and potentially screw yourself later on when it comes to re-signing Phil Myers in a couple of years or, or Carter Hart, or you, know, you can't keep all this money on the books at the same time, just because you want to there sooner or later, they're going to have to shed some salary. And this seems like a good place to start by not bringing in
2: Sanheim for a long-term deal. And another thing is, is that you could move him out and bring in a guy like Dougie Hamilton. Yeah. Like I, like that's what I think they, they should be big game hunting this summer. Absolutely. They really should. Because Look, like like I said, the, the offense, at least to me, I know it's a small sample size, but they've proved me wrong. And I'll happily eat that crow that they still have a lot more left in the tank than I gave them credit for. The defense, I don't think it could be fixed in season. I, I truly do not. I don't think a, a, the caliber of player they need is going to become available between now and the trade deadline in April. But let's say they 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 have a whatever uh, another second round exit in the playoffs i like they have to bring in a guy like Dougie Hamilton, and look to be honest, like at this point, would you be comfortable like moving out Sanheim and going with Shane beer given the way he's played oh absolutely at worst case scenario it's a you know it's a lateral move,
1: but Gospes looked great um for what I expect of him, especially defensively um you know, I, I expect next to nothing of him in his own zone, but he's been he's been he's been handling his own. It's a short sample size; it's what four games, so there's plenty of time for him to screw up. But uh, I, I really have liked what I've seen out of him. You know, he he talked about it himself. He's much more confident when he's playing with Provorov. He seems you know a little more in his own zone. I don't think he's going to be producing offense that much. He sure doesn't seem to be uh, super interested in doing that, uh, which I don't been... give a fuck about. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. They've kind of been giving that rolled a more often than not um you know whenever possible but yeah i like ghost i would i would much rather roll with him at this point than sandheim because i'm pretty sure you can have goss's beer cheaper at 4.5 than you would sandheim so the, the that, that to me the cap has to come into this just as much as as the player and if you're going to sign somebody long term go get dougie hamilton i'm sure he's going to be more than five mil but i wouldn't
2: you get the player for five mil versus sandheim who's got
1: potential
2: well, I mean, let and again, it's only ten games. Even much more so for Shane Gossesbear. But let's say Gossespear could just maintain this level of play going into the off season, and you're able to bring in Dougie Hamilton on a big contract for eight million dollars or whatever, and you go into next season with like Provorov, Myers, Gust, uh, Goss, no, Jesus Christ, not Gustafson, Gossesbear, Dougie Hamilton as your top four. I'm confident with that. That's a defense that I think could win a cup, to be honest. And then your bottom pair is some mix of either, I, well, Justin Braun will still be here one way or another, but let's say Braun with either Zamula or York, you know, young kids with some feet. You know, that's something that gives me confidence. That's a properly built defensive group where everyone is slotted properly. And I think that spear playing in a, in a four-hole and let's say paired with a guy like Dougie Hamilton to kind of bring up his game, that's something that would give me a lot of confidence. And look, I'm more positive than I was, let's say, a couple of weeks ago, just because I like what I've seen from the offense. And I think that at bare minimum, they've proved to me that they can score at a high level when they want to. And I truly do think that if they add a couple of physical forwards up front and a big-name defenseman like Hamilton, they're not far off in spite of the bad way they've played. like I know they've played really, really poorly for, what, 90% of the the time they've been on the ice. But, I mean, at, at bare minimum, you have to give credit to how much skill this team has.
1: And it's something that we've talked about before. Like, they may not need many pieces, but the pieces they need are pretty big. You know, they they need another top six forward, and they need a top pair defenseman. You know, things that don't always uh, show up on the market very easily. And, uh, you know, they had their opportunity this past summer to, to get what, there were six, eight defensemen that would have been better options um, than, than Gus or Sanheim for that matter. But, uh, you know, they chose to avoid them, so they have to work through this summer. I don't know the list of uh, UFAs off the top of my head, um, but I can, I can look it up here, but... Hopefully they you know go after somebody like Hamilton or, or whatnot and you know le- find legitimate help here. Um, don't put all the pressure on York right away. Uh, let him kind of grow into his game. And if he comes in, looks great out of the great uh, out of the gate, great. Uh, easy for me to say, but you know let him do his own time because I'm pretty sure he's you know your last hope back there to find a legitimate homegrown defenseman.
2: Well, uh, th- and that's the thing. Like obviously, you if you stick with Goss to Spear. And then you kind of just hope that he can bridge the cap in the top four to when York is ready, let's say, by the beginning of two thousand twenty two. And look at me putting a big positive spin on this. <laughs> but like, but I've said it from the beginning that I've always been confident with the long-term outlook of the defense. i've I've always been confident with that. and especially more so if they're able to land a guy like Hamilton. Like, if they're able to land a guy like Dougie Hamilton, their defense and goaltender will be so strong for the following 5 years or so that it may be able to cover up for whatever offensive miscomings this team may have in a year or two down the road when the when the core is aging and whatnot. But, you know, one last thing I wanted to touch on is that like JVR, I know that you're his absolute biggest fan, but <laughs> in all seriousness Something like, like that. In all seriousness, you, you can't deny that he's played pretty well to this point, no? He's looked much better
1: than I expected him to do. And I talked about this on, on one of the Englandary post postgames. He's my second least favorite flyer now. Sandheim has taken that spot as number one. So he's my second <laughs> least favorite. So he's moving up in the world.
2: But in saying that... <laughs> The first chance I have the opportunity to trade that guy I do it. Oh,
1: absolutely. I'm not saying you keep this guy from Seattle and protect him all of a sudden. Hell no. You still got to get get out of him now while he's producing and his stock is up a little bit versus uh holding on to him. Go man, he's back. He's going to play like he's 25 again. You know, please please don't do that, Chuck. Please get rid of this guy with Seattle. Like that's still the the best opportunity you have there to uh to clear all this cap space.
2: Because I think that in an ideal world, you swap out, let's say, JVR and a guy like Lawton, who, again, they're good players in this season. They've been excellent. but And you bring in, like, two really physical. Like, I, I keep beating the drum of Tyler Bertuzzi. But let's say you bring in, like, a Bertuzzi and a Sam Bennett. I Like, you, you add, like, Bertuzzi, Dougie Hamilton, and Sam Bennett to this team. <laughs> and... You could get something cooking here, yeah. quite literally. Like, then I would be balls deep in projected and to win a Stanley Cup. But that's what I'm saying. They're not that far off, but the pieces they're missing are significant. And, you know, I we were talking about that Baker fellow before we came on, and, like, these people who, like, are convinced that, like, a Frost and a and beer and a first-round pick is going to get you Tyler Bertuzzi. Like, mm-hmm. if you guys want a player like that, which I think everyone wants at this point, I think almost everybody cannot deny the lack of physicality this team needs or this team has rather, you're going to be parting with a significant piece, you know, and and I think that the only three forwards or three, um, what's the expendable, there you go. The only three expendable players that you could really move to get a player of that caliber is me Limbaugh, or Farabee. And I know everyone points to, you know, oh, yeah, but Mark Stone and Ryan O'Reilly and Tyler Sagan, they got flipped for packages. Okay, well, all three of those deals are three of the worst trades in recent memory, <laughs> quite literally. Yeah. All three of those trades are evolving into the worst trades of the last 10 years. And I think GMs are learning from going from trading star players for packages, and we saw that with Line a and Pierre-Luc Dubois, it was quite literally talent for Dallin. And when we had Eric Francis on last week, he said the same. He said as much. If the Flames were going to trade Johnny Gaudreau, so I think that if you want a player like Tyler Bertuzzi, because I just think he checks so many boxes for the Flyers, it would be a guy like Limblom or Konechny that would have to be going the other way to get it done.
1: I think realistically, Konnekti and Sanheim are your two biggest trade ships you have right now in this team, and and potentially Ferbey, depending on a refit. But I believe Dan yeah. Knightley was talking about it that you know Konechny's really been in the doghouse lately. You know he yeah. doesn't have any affiliation with this regime. You know, he wasn't drafted by Fletcher. He wasn't, you know, raised by AV. So I do kind of wonder if he's on the outs right now. He was the first one, and so far only star-benched. He's been playing like shit for more than most of the year, you know. But he's a playing per game player, Daniel. Well, no, he's not. He had one good game three weeks ago now. But, you know, I often wonder if he's going to be the one that finds himself as the odd man out sooner rather than
2: later if things don't turn around for him. And that's, again, it's not even saying he's a bad player. Like, people have this this very bad habit. If you don't believe in them, you think they're the worst. Yeah. And it's like, if you think that they should be traded, it means you think they're shit. No, on the contrary, if I wanted every shit player traded, I would just be talking about, let's get Robert Hag out of here. (laughs) But like, what are you going to get for Robert Hag? A a seventh round pick in 2040? Like, come on. Like if you want something (laughs) of value, it's going to need to get, you're going to need to trade someone of value. And, even though I don't think Konechny's bad, I still think he's going to be a top-line player in this league for a lot of years. I do think he's expendable. I'm sorry. Like, I wouldn't be in a rush to trade him. No. But if you could get, let's say, like, let's say the deadline comes around and the, let's say, uh, the, Car- the Carolina Hurricanes know that they're not going to trade, that they're not going to sign um, Dougie Hamilton. Like, they know he's set- told them to fuck off. And you could have it in the back pocket, like we so as we see so often, like the Vegas Golden Knights did with Mark Stone, that they agree to extension before trading for him. I would trade Sanheim and Connectney for Dougie Hamilton. Oh yeah, in a hurt Like, and that's again, it's not me saying that I devalue them as hockey players. There's there's, but there's it's, always somebody
1: better, and yeah. you have to do what you have to do to win a cup here. This Ron Hextall mentality of it has to be all homegrown talent and everybody that we draft are superstars and this—that's and that. just not true. It never has been true. Find me a team recently that won a cup that is built solely from players within that didn't make one gigantic free agent acquisition or free agent trade. You know, it just doesn't happen. You know, you just—you can't sit around. For years on end, waiting for Konechny to be a 30-goal scorer or waiting for Sanheim to look like a competent, you know, top-pair defenseman. Maybe, maybe it happens one day. Maybe you trade him to Carolina for Dougie Hamilton, and he goes on to score 80 goals a year. You know? He's the next Wayne Gretzky. Great, more power to you, but it may not have happened in Philadelphia. You know, and um, yeah, that's just... God, I'm looking at this. Free agent. Market for defensemen this year, and boy, is it brutal. Alex Edler, Dougie Hamilton, Mark Stahl, Alex Goligoski, who is still in the fucking league, by the way. Uh, Nikki Almerson, Ryan Murray, Jason Demirs, Brendan Smith, David Savard, Ian Cole, Adam Larson, Alec Martinez, Eric Branson, Brandon Montour, Tyson Berry, Patrick Namath, who uh, I believe uh, RG Umberger tried to cut his hand off one time. Uh, Eric Gustafson, our Eric Gustafson, fuck that guy. Jake McCabe, Thomas Hickey, so. A lot of dudes back there.
2: Yeah, and I mean, Ryan Murray, aside from the fact that he's been so injury prone, he's kind of not too bad. But, I mean, Dougie Hamilton's a guy that I just think on so many levels checks boxes for the Flyers. and Easily the star of this year's class. And he's a guy that, I mean, if you lock in that guy with the – talent they already have on the back end I mean I I truly believe it becomes probably the best defensive group in the NHL provorov Myers, and that's uh, providing that Myers development continues down this path but you know if you can go long term with Myers as your number three and then you have cam York theoretically going to assume a role on that to- in the top four like and look I Again, I don't think Travis Kanak is a bad player. He's going to be a top-line guy and probably a several-time 30-goal score in this league many times. But if it's trading a winger for a number-one defenseman along with a guy like Travis Sanheim, and maybe the Flyers get something back as well because they're giving up a lot of age in, in, in a deal like that. So maybe they get back, a, I don't know, like a physical bottom tier forward or whatever you know balance it out i mean i don't know how you say no to that i i truly don't and again it, it's not me saying connect me and Tran, travis Sandheim are bad it's just me saying that those are the types of expendable pieces with significant value that you're more than likely going to have to give up to get a valuable piece well i mean i'm excited like i mean i'm kind of I don't know if I want to get excited already. And I like, it's weird. Like I was super negative about this team before. And now over the last two ten 10 games. Everyone who was super positive has turned super negative, but I've been not positive. Is the right word? Cautiously but I think, optimistic. Yeah. Because it's more just like the way I've seen the top players in quotation marks play has been like shit. If they're at least pulling their weight and all they have to do is fix their, you know, transitional game, because I think that's the biggest problem that they have is their transition from the defensive zone and the offensive zone. If they fix that, I mean, I still don't think they're going to win a cup. Don't get me wrong. That defense 0% chance. But I mean, it's, it's, I would much rather have to work on a transition game than have three of your 30 plus year old forwards making 30% of your cap looking like dead fish out there.
1: Yeah, just uh, cautiously optimistic. I'm worried because I still don't particularly care for the way they're playing. I think they did look fine against the Islanders in the second game on on Sunday, but other than that, it, the way they're playing worries me. They're winning now, but you know if they can't get their shit together, I can't imagine this kind of luck holds out all season long. Um, it's just the the it's just these underlying stats just do not back them. Um, you know,
2: lasting. Uh, this kind of you know winning this many games for this long so for sure not and i and look i i'm not saying i'm content with the way they're playing i'm not i'm just trying to give them a bit of the benefit of the doubt if that makes sense like they're still winning hockey games and they've looked like crap so much so doing it it's just I don't know. It's like they're doing it without Couturier. That counts for something. There's some players who I've really liked what I've seen out of them, like Brian Elliott. Like, who the fuck would have thought that? Yeah. <laughs> like, Ivan Provo looks fantastic. Their top forwards have looked good for the most part, aside from Konechny, and I find Hayes hasn't been as good as he was last year. But, and look, I, I still think, I'm I'm not going to change my opinion on this team. I don't think that they're a cup contender and they're, their transition play and their underlying metrics are indicative of that. I don't think even if they turn around their transitional game and they look better on the ice and play more like they did against the Islanders on Sunday night, that's not going to change my opinion about this team. Um, Like, I won't really have a differing opinion about them in terms of where they are contending for a cop-wise until I see them in the playoffs. Because we've seen this team be regular season heroes before many yep. times yep. and it's always like they they put on a show at some point or another in the regular season and they get into the playoffs and they just look like a random bubble team and we saw that last year and this year i mean you're that's where i'm really going to pass judgment is the playoffs because i think we both and more most people as a whole expected them to finish inside the top three of the uh, east division
1: Yeah, I think that's when this play, especially, this this wishy washy, real bad underlying numbers is going to beat them. Um, You know, if they line up against a team like the Islanders or or the Canadians, which I don't think they would see until the Eastern Conference final, but, you know, there's going to be a team that is just going to be better composed than they are right Uh, you know that just kind of plays a a straightforward game while the flyers are out there trying this wild west shit every night so that worries me that's the one thing that you know i I just want to see some kind of consistency even if they lose a couple games here and there i want to see their play get better you know that that, i think that's the key to this team right now is just start working like one cohesive unit rather than you know 12 different players and I, i think that'll be a big key for them moving forward and uh Hopefully Fletcher's right that once Katuri comes back, the you know the team defense will improve, and it should. But um, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Avi, it sounds like Avi doesn't really like Kevin Hayes right now either, which is uh, interesting.
2: Yeah, he just has no choice but to play him. Yeah, there's no. Uh, maybe once
1: Katuri comes back, we'll see him benched as well. But I think that's about it today. I'll be back, I believe, tonight with an anger-negative post-game show and it's maybe the only one for the week actually i think we got one more show on friday um depending on when jim and i are going to do a review show but we were waiting for everything to show up in the mail and the snow is not helping anything uh show up so at dan the flyer fan at brotherly puck at heart countdown underscore if you want to countdown carter arts wins and uh anthony where can people find you on twitter
2: uh you can find me at ademarca25 all right, everybody, until next time, goodbye and good night. There can
1: be only one!